Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. All right. Well, today we are going to be doing a special message called Help, I'm a Parent. And even if you aren't a parent, I think today's message is going to be helpful because most of us have nieces, nephews, younger cousins, uh, kids that maybe we just are around that we can invest in and pour into. Maybe your kids are grown, and as a grandparent, this might be a refresher. Maybe you're going to listen to my message, take really good notes, and then point out to me all the ways that I miss things. Uh, So either way, I'd love for you to take notes. Um, But I really want to encourage you to have a note sheet. If you don't, wave your hand, and Ryan is going to run around and give you one, uh, because today we're taking tons of notes. I think this is the first time in my preaching career that I've done back and front of notes. So it's double the amount of notes as normal. So you really want to make sure you have one of those note sheets. I am the privilege to have four kids, um, 12 nine, seven, and three. So we are right in the thick of it. Uh, It's a fun season. But what I want you to know is that I'm learning this right alongside of you. And so I'm not uh, some kind of expert on stage, but I'm definitely walking through this parenting journey with many of you as well. How many of you have had that experience where you've been unexpectedly woken up by something in the middle of the night? Yeah, if if you're a parent, hopefully your hand goes up. Otherwise, man, your partner is the one who's always getting up in the middle of the night. We are at the stage where it seems like some kid is waking up every single night. I can't remember the last time I've slept through the night without being woken up by one of my kids. And a couple nights ago, I was laying in bed, and I heard, you know, one of my kids come in the room, and I was like, ah, all right, I'm going to kick him out, take him back to their bed in the middle of the night, And then I open my eyes, and I see my three-year-old's face right in front of my face, right here. And she's so cute. And what she does is she grabs my cheeks, and she just says, this is like two in the morning, just says, I love you, Daddy. And then kisses me right on the lips, and then snuggles up right beside me, and it's like, oh, well, I'm done. All right, fine. You can sleep here the rest of the night. I think that was the very first time she's ever, like, said, I love you, Daddy, in the very middle of the night. And that's what parenting is like. Sometimes it's unexpected. You're, uh, you get this kiss out of nowhere. Sometimes you're woken up and you're like, what is going on? And in that moment, you know, it was, it was cute. But the next day I was thinking about like, man, my little girl is not going to be three forever. She's going to grow up. And I'm not raising kids. I'm launching adults. That's the goal. And the goal is right now as parents or as aunts and uncles, we have a lot of authority in their life. But what we want to make sure is that when they are launched into adulthood, that we still have influence on them. We want our kids to want to want to come back home when they're older. Not just that they would do want to, not just that they come home and visit us, but they want to still be in relationship with us someday when they don't have to be. And so our goal for those of us like me who are in this life stage of young kids and parenting, uh, maybe as a grandparent, your goal is that you want your grandkids to want to hang out with you even when the parents aren't making them. That you still have influence in their lives, that you still, that that your grandkids want to be with you, that want to spend time with you. Same with your kids, that when they're older, that they still want to spend time with you, and and, and that's the goal. 
And I was thinking about Mariah. Again, she's three right now. She's cute. But someday, I'm going to be either walking her down the aisle for her wedding or dropping her off at college. And no matter what, that day is going to be really tough. But I know there are things I can do now that I can work on so that when that day comes, that when it's, it's still tough, I can still know, hey, I did everything in my power to impart the things to Mariah and Andrew and Rebecca and Joshua, that all the things that God has entrusted me as their dad to give to them. Because my goal is that when I walk Mariah down the aisle or drop her off at college, wherever that, that marker is, or really transition from a place of authority to influence, is that I can say, hey, this is hard, this is tough transition, but you know what? I did the best I could, and, and I have no regrets. And I really believe that we can strive to have those kind of no regrets looking back. So that, that's our goal. And so here's the thing, though, about parenting, is that honestly, and, and this is about marriage as well, is that I think almost all of us go into marriage and then parenting as well, thinking, I'm going to be a natural at this. I got this. I'm an expert. Man, I, I don't need to be trained in this. You know what? I, I am just naturally good at this. Let me tell you the truth. You are not natural. Despite what your parents probably told you, you are not special and different. I'm sorry. We all think that, and then we get into parenting and realize we don't know what we don't know. Same thing in marriage. I think a lot of us think, oh, I just got this. I'm going to be a natural at this. You're not. But the good news is, you can get better. You can get training. Maybe this is the first time you've realized this, but like marriage, parenting, these kind of things, they're skills that you have to be intentional at growing in. The last couple of weeks we've been talking about the need for intentionality. Uh, a couple of weeks ago when we met in the gym, we talked about unintentional spiritual formation versus intentional spiritual formation. You're not just going to accidentally grow closer to Jesus. You have to be intentional in your spiritual formation because the choices you make do something to you. The habits that you do do something to you. You have to choose to become more like Jesus, and your habits have to be purposeful, intentional in doing that. Two weeks ago, we talked about marriage. Same thing. You have to be intentional in saying, God, you're my number one. I'm putting you as my first priority. And then my spouse is going to be my two. My kid's below my spouse. That's super, super important. And so I'm going to pursue my two. I'm going to be intentional about that. You aren't just going to just fall into a deep, lasting, wonderful marriage. It's going to take work. You're going to have to get some training in this. You're going to have to read some books. You're going to have to maybe go to a marriage conference. We aren't naturals in this. Same thing in parenting. If you haven't read any parenting books, if you haven't taken any parenting courses, you need to. These are skills that you have to learn. So today I'm going to go through just some basic things that I've learned over my 12 years of being a parent. And before that, I spent about 10 years as a youth pastor investing in the kids. I'm on this journey with you, but I just want to share a few things that I've learned. And so this morning we're going to see that we can train and learn to be a better parent. We're going to talk about kind of the three major needs that every kid, every person has. Number one, do I matter? It is someone care that I am alive on this planet. Am I loved? Number two, do I matter? Are people listening to me? Do they care that I've shown up in this space? And number three, every kid needs to know, am I safe? 
Am I loved? Do I matter? Am I safe? And we're going to look at this as teaching our kids to know that they are loved, that they're listened to by their parents, and that they have healthy limits. That's what we're looking at today. Kind of our, our core verse we're looking at today is from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And here's how Moses is writing to this brand new nation. God has led the nation of Israel out of slavery and bondage. For 400 years, they've lived under the boot of the Egyptians. And now they're learning how to be a free people. And so here is what God is instructing them through Moses. It says, these are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. In the future, your children will ask you, what is the meaning of these laws, decrees, and regulations that the Lord our God has commanded us to obey? Then you must tell them, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his strong hand. The Lord did miraculous signs and wonders before our eyes, dealing terrifyingly blows against Egypt and Pharaoh and all his people. He brought us out of Egypt so that he could give us this land he had sworn to give our ancestors. And the Lord our God commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear him so he can continue to bless us and preserve our lives as he has done to this day. For we will be counted as righteous when we obey all the commands the Lord has given us. What does that word righteous mean? It's kind of a big churchy word. But Moses is telling them that when you obey these commands, when you teach your children and your grandchildren to obey what God has commanded you, then you'll be counted as righteous. Well, righteous means you have integrity, you're virtuous, you have a purity of life, a rightness of living, a correct way of thinking, feeling, and acting. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says this, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. It's hungering for the ways that our creator God has designed us. And first we need to understand that hungering for righteousness is very different than self-righteousness. Jesus tells us that the hunger after righteousness that comes from God, it's trusting God, our good, good father, who's planned good things for us. And when you hear that word righteous or righteousness, I want you to think the good things that God has planned for me when I live in alignment with how my creator designed me to live. This is the art of right living. That's what we want for our children, for our grandchildren, for our nieces and nephews, to have the art of right living in alignment with the way that God created us to live. But Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for this way of life, for righteousness, for then we will be satisfied. The question I think we have to ask first in our homes, what are we hungering for? Are we hungering for the ways of God, the art of right living, the way that our creator asked us to live? In the last seven days, what would you say your family has been pursuing or hungering for? Now, I gotta be honest, I don't always hunger and thirst for the things of God. Sometimes I get sidetracked by their pursuits. 
So what do we do when we realize we're hungering for the wrong things? What do we realize when we have appetites for things that aren't the best for us? Well, we need to change our appetites. Growing up, I was an incredibly picky eater. I didn't have my first hamburger until I was in fifth grade. I didn't have any kind of Asian or Chinese food until I was a senior in high school. I thought I was the pickiest person I knew. Then my two sisters married guys who were even more picky than I am. But the great thing is that you can learn to change your appetites. In college, I learned how to eat a salad. I learned how to eat vegetables and other foods. You can change your appetites. And same thing in our family. If you look and you realize, you know what, our family really isn't hungering and thirsting after righteousness, after the things of God, we can change our appetites. But first, let's explain why this doesn't work very often. Let's talk about how to live in alignment with God's ways, but what doesn't work first. Number one, what doesn't work is legalistic Christianity. What doesn't work, if you take notes, is write down as legalistic Christianity. That's when we reduce Christianity in our homes just to a bunch of do's and don'ts, cans and can'ts, shoulds and shouldn'ts, oughts and ought nots. Don't do this, don't do that. If you're a good Christian, you're going to always get this right. You know, whatever you do, don't drink, don't chew, and don't hang out with kids who do. You know, we're just boiling Christianity down just a list of rules, but that doesn't work. Because rules without relationship leads to rebellion. If we just offer a bunch of rules... Say, this is what God says, do this, don't do that. Without teaching them to have a relationship with the creator, it's going to lead to rebellion. I went to a fundamentalist Baptist high school here in the Twin Cities and had many, many kids who came from such a strict household that they said, you know, any music with any kind of drums was from the devil because drums come from Africa and everything out of Africa is evil. Which I was like, wow, that's really, really racist. Um, But that's what they taught. And they taught that, you know, um, uh, any kind of TV was evil. Don't go to a movie theater because you might be tempted to go to a rated R movie. And they had all these rules without really teaching relationship. And what happened was I saw so many of my friends their junior, senior year walk into rebellion. They started clubbing. They started messing around with pot and drinking and smoking and, and sleeping around and doing all these things they knew they shouldn't do because really they were taught rules with no relationship. As a youth pastor, I saw this when I saw some parents, and a lot of times it was homeschool parents, who would smother their kids with so many rules and restrictions that once then that kid graduated and they were free to fly, boy, did they fly and they did not do the right things. And sadly, there wasn't taught enough of the relationship. There was only taught rules. The goal is, when our kids graduate, they have a relationship. And they don't just go into rebellion, but they, they want to live. They have the art of right living in the ways of God. That doesn't work is legalistic Christianity. Number two, what doesn't work is lukewarm Christianity. And again, as a pastor, as a youth pastor, I've seen this so many times. What is that? That's when we believe in God, but we act as if he doesn't exist. That our beliefs in God don't really shape how we live as a family. How do you know if you have a lukewarm Christian home? Well, I can't judge you, but here's a few things that I would say could be warning signs that you might have a lukewarm Christian home. If you can't remember the last time you prayed together as a family with your kids and really prayed, not just rub-a-dub-dub, God, thanks for the grub, but you were praying for a miracle, that you were praying for someone who was sick to be healed, that you were praying for God to show up in a big way, then perhaps you have a lukewarm spiritual family. If you never come home to your family and say, hey, you know what, today I was able to share Jesus 
while I was at the coffee shop or is at the gym. I had to have this conversation with someone. I told them a little bit about, about my life and how God has changed my life. Then perhaps you have a lukewarm spiritual home. If you, as a dad or a mom, never tell your kids, hey, I was in my Bible app this morning, or I was reading my Bible, and this verse really stood out to me, let me share this with you kids. Maybe you have a lukewarm spiritual family. Or maybe if you never say, hey, kids, let's not watch this show anymore, because I really don't think this aligns with the values that we have as a family. And I don't feel like this is drawing us closer to Jesus. This show, I, I don't know about this. Perhaps you have a lukewarm spiritual family. If we aren't leading our family in, in, in intentionally towards following Jesus, then perhaps we're leading our families to be lukewarm. And what does Jesus say in Revelation 3? I wish you were hot or cold, and, but because you are lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. So legalistic Christianity doesn't work. Lukewarm Christianity doesn't work. But what does work? Well, we're going to go kind of deep into some psychology things here and some parenting things. Uh, what I'm calling this is connected parenting. And this is connected to God, to his word, and other believers. There is a group out there called Connecting Parenting, and so I was like, well, you don't have, own this name. So I'm not talking about connectedparenting.com, but I'm talking about just the, the theory of having connected parenting, of connecting to God, to each other, and to God's word. And a couple things that we need to have as connected parents. Number one, attunement. Attunement is, is saying to your kids, you get to show up. You matter. You occupy space, and I'm glad that you are here. Attunement is this reactiveness we have to another person. It, it, it's our ability to be aware of and respond to our child's needs. But first of all, we have to be attuned to our own needs. We have to respond to our own emotional health. I know someone who said, you know, they just kind of stopped sharing with their closest friends when they were having struggles and, and having a rough day because they just kind of respond with, oh man, I'm sorry, that sucks. And they just felt like there was a disconnect here. And instead of someone in empathy stepping into their situation and attuning with them, they felt like it was just pity. If that's your response to someone in your life, a kid or a close friend, of sharing a challenge in life and you're just like, hey man, I'm sorry, that sucks. What that is communicating is pity. You're up here down to a person in need. What we need is attunement with our kids and others is that I'm getting down on the same level as you and I'm attuning my heart to yours. And what that then helps is have us have attachment. Attachment is something that kids oftentimes who go through the foster care, who are adopted, they really struggle with attachment because it's really formed in the very youngest ages. Doesn't mean it can't form, but for those of you who are doing foster care, you're gonna know this, is, you know this, it's struggled to have that attachment. It's that saying, I'm not gonna give up on you. I'm going to be here. When I was a 20-something, I'd graduated from college, I was single, and I was trying to figure out, am I gonna pursue a career in music? I was playing a lot of bars, coffee shops, um, festivals. I was also working at church. And my mentor, who was my pastor at that time, said, hey, you're 23, this is a great time to figure this out, trying different personalities, trying different careers, because the reality is one day you're going to be a dad, you're going to be a husband, and your kids need to wake up knowing that you are the rock of the family and that you're still going to be there. That's forming attachment with your kids. As, as husbands and father, as, as, as fathers and mothers, we help form these bonds 
we attune to them, we attach and say, okay, I'm here for you. I'm not leaving. I'm glad that you are here. And then what, what, what that helps us is have alignment. Now we have alignment with our kids. Now we are connected to them. And saying, hey, I'm going to help you get help. See, the problem is, if we try to go to alignment first without doing the work of attunement or attachment, what that is, is that's rules without relationship. What this is, is when I skip these steps because my kid is throwing a fit in the grocery store, and now I'm feeling uncomfortable that my kid is doing something, the problem is if I don't know what's going on inside myself, and I feel like, oh, this is about me, people are staring at me, I need to attune and be like, okay, you know what, it's all right if people stare at me, or people even judge I'm a bad parent, because what I need to do first is figure out what is going on with my kid. Why are they throwing a fit right now? How am I going to form this attachment with them in this moment so that then we can have alignment and deal with the behavior? That is the important thing. This is what God does with us. Is that God comes down to our level as Jesus to attune to us. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Then he works on changing our behavior. But see, God doesn't stay up in heaven and just give us a bunch of commandments and say, change your behavior he goes through this, attunes to us, attaches, and aligns. This is the same thing with parenting. This is something I'm learning and walking through, of that when my kids throw in a fit, what I want to do is just move quickly to alignment. Hey, get in line with what I want you to do and change your behavior. But instead, it's going, okay, what's going on? Do they need a nap? Do they need some food? Are they tired? Are they hungry? Is there something going on at school that, that now they're lashing out at I need to spend some time to attune to them, to have this attachment that, hey, they know I'm here. I'm not going somewhere else. I'm not on my phone. And then we have alignment. See, kids need to know they belong, that they are secure, and that they matter. Kids need to know that they belong, that they are secure, and they matter. And I think we do this by a couple different ways. Number one, we need to help kids know that they are loved. They are loved. Here's some ways we do that. Look at them in the eyes. You might need to physically get down on their level to say, hey, I see you. I'm looking at you in the eyes. Number two, consistent touch. Dads, this is so important for your sons and especially for your daughters because girls are going to crave that physical touch and affection. And as dads, we have a unique responsibility to, to cuddle them, to love them, to allow them to have that physical touch. Otherwise, when they're teenagers, they're going to seek that out in unhealthy ways. But for all kids, they need consistent touch. My old boss, Steve Cuss, uh, is now kind of a famous sort of uh, speaker and writer, and he talks about anxiety and different things. But he shares this story of, of a dad who lost his wife and he had some young kids. And for the first couple of years, he was okay with his, you know, seven-year-old always climbing on his lap and needing all that physical affection and touch that he got from his mom because he's like, okay, your mom just died. I get this. Fast forward five years, and now his 12-year-old son is crawling on his lap when he's trying to watch a football game with his friends, and the dad is highly embarrassed by this. He's like, this isn't how men act. But the more he pushed his son away, the more his son wanted that physical touch and affection that he used to get from his mom. And so they're at this struggle and so finally, Steve was meeting them and said, okay, more of the, same, of the same behavior is not working. 
And so the dad was desperate. He's like, I need to change my son's behavior. I need to man him up. Steve's like, I'm not going to address that for right now, but let me just help you solve the problem. And in that instance, he said, actually, the answer is the problem, that you need to go above and beyond and give your son more physical touch and affection than you think he even needs. And his dad's like, that sounds crazy, but let me try it. And so in other situations, throughout the week, the dad would intentionally move towards his son, give him hugs, touch the top of his head, rub his back. And what he found out was that then his son was no longer craving that touch and acting out in ways that was embarrassing the dad. And the dad learned, hey, it's okay to show love and affection in different ways. But sometimes, as parents, we get uncomfortable with this physical touch when your little girl gets older. It's just, it's just the reality. I've seen it again and again. Uh, number three, compliment your kids. Tell them what they are doing good at. Uh, you know, speak life into them. Celebrate important milestones. Wow, hey, you did a great job in this math test. Hey, you, you know, you pitched your first game. You know, whatever it might be, you're going to celebrate these important milestones. Create traditions. These are things that help kids know to look forward to things. Hey, we always do this every year for this thing. It helps them know that they are loved because you are prioritizing these kinds of traditions. Thank them. When, you know, don't always address the bad behavior. But, you know, when, when uh, your kid speaks life and truth into their younger sibling or uses their words for good, thank them for that. Don't just call out the bad behavior and when they're using their words for bad, but, you know, recognize when they're using their gifts and talents for good. Make bedtime a special routine. Now, for 12 years of parenting, we've gone back and forth. It used to be like Joshua, our, our oldest, would get like three songs from me, three songs from Kristen, like three books from me, three books from Kristen. Bedtime was a long routine. With four kids, it can't be quite that long. But we really still try to have some things where we always pray with the kids, ask the kid, hey, what was the highlight of your day? What's your favorite moment of the day? You know, is there anything you want to talk about? You know, make sure to have some bedtime cuddles and snuggles. You're touching them. You know, have certain books you're reading. Um, whatever it might be, have a bedtime routine that helps kids feel safe and secure. We're going to talk about this in limits. Prioritize one-on-one time. Uh, if you have more than one kid, this gets tough. But I really try to be intentional looking out through the month. Okay, am I, I going to have some one-on-one time with Joshua? Am I going to have one-on-one time this month sometime with Rebecca, with Mariah, with Andrew? There's just something special that helps a kid feel loved when as a parent we're prioritizing one-on-one time. Teach them a new skill. My daughter Rebecca's nine, and uh, the last month or two I've been helping her learn the mandolin. There's something special there that a kid feels loved when they're taught a new skill by their parents. You know, teach them how to dribble a basketball properly. Teach them how to throw a baseball. Teach your son how to shave. You know, teach your daughter how to, to bake or to throw a softball or whatever that might be, whatever that skill is. Man, that's a way as parents that, we, that the kids can really feel love then. Show enthusiasm what they like. Even if you heard them talking about Minecraft again and again and again and you don't get it, or Pokemon or whatever it might be, showing enthusiasm Ethan talks about this, that his dad, Chris, does such a great job about this, uh, of, of whatever the kids are into. Uh, he's my brother-in-law to, to my nieces and nephews, that he gets into and enthusiasm. And I know he doesn't always like those things, but at least he shows enthusiasm for it. helps a kid feel loved. Here's a big one, though. With this, it means prioritizing intimacy over efficiency. That's how you help a kid feel loved. That means that sometimes we can do something easier and faster on our own, or when our kid's mowing the lawn and we think, ah, oh, it's just better if I just did it myself. Or whatever that might be. And my personality, I love efficiency. Like, that's one of my highest values in life. But I'm learning to prioritize intimacy with my kids over efficiency. 
That means bedtime may not be as efficient as possible. That means, you know, getting into the car may not be efficient as possible because I'm spending time to put my kids' shoes on or whatever it might be. We're teaching them skills. But I think it's a big one for all of us as parents to prioritize intimacy, that connectedness over efficiency. Number two, help your kids feel like they're listened to. Show up. Number pay attention. Put down your phone. Mute the TV. Make eye contact. Pay attention to what is being said as well as how it is being said. Pay attention to nonverbal cues. Unexpected tears in your kids show that something's going on inside of them. Uh, it's true for us as adults, too. Uh, if you ever have unexpected tears, you're not sure what it is, that's a sign that God is moving and doing something in your spirit. So pay attention to that. Pay attention when your kids has a stomachache. That might not just be a physical thing. Maybe they're nervous. They have some anxiety. Um, that's just as much in communication. When your kid is hiding in his room, pay attention to that. That's, that's part of, of feeling listened to. Clarify and summarize. Don't be afraid to ask questions. The emphasis is on asking rather than telling. And maybe even say, hey, let me summarize. Am I getting this right? The story you're telling or what you're trying to ask? But don't interrupt them just to reiterate what they've said because that can stop the flow of communication. This is also good just life skills for listening with other people. Um, summarize in a, in, a, in a healthy way, but don't interrupt someone to uh, clarify what they just said or summarize it because it can derail the conversation. Be okay with silence. Because they may be processing as you're talking about something. And, and kids' brains may be slower than ours. And so when you're sitting there in silence and you want them to answer you, hey, be okay with silence. Hey, you know, I saw that the way you treated your, your big brother at the dinner table was not okay. What's going on? You know, and just let that sit. As they're thinking through, and maybe then eventually they will tell you, hey, you know what? My best friend at school today was mean to me, and she said this thing, and, and so her behavior had nothing really to do with her brother, and so we need to correct that behavior, but the root issue is what was going on you know, earlier in the day. Don't try to downplay your kids' concerns. Instead of, oh, you'll do fine on that test, you can say, hey, it sounds like you're really stressed. Yeah, math is hard. Is there anything I can help you with to help you feel ready for this test? You know, I'm here for you. But too often parents were like, ah, it doesn't matter. It's just a test. You're going to be fine. Try not to downplay your kids' concerns. Number five, be patient. It's, again, it's that prioritizing intimacy over efficiency. It, it, it don't rush to find a solution. Don't force them to talk. You may even say, hey, when you're ready to talk, I'm here for you. See, sometimes parents, we are uncomfortable with the emotions that our kids are sharing. And so what we want to do because we haven't dealt with the mess inside of us. We don't like their anxiety, what that's causing in us and their tears. This is just in true, just in communication. And so sometimes we want, we want to rush. To, hey, it's okay. It's fine. Stop crying. Stop crying. Deal with this emotions. This is also true if someone's in your small group and they're sharing concerns or something and, and, and you have this feeling of uncertainty, unsettledness, and you want to try to get them to, to solve their problem as soon as possible. That's more about what's going on in you and things you haven't dealt with. Than, than them. So again, that's a trigger. Hey, you got some stuff in your life you need to deal with. If you are always rushing to help someone feel better, to stop crying quickly, this is like with grief. If you're walking into a, a hospital room, if you're comforting a friend, and you're more concerned about trying to make them feel better and just share some platitude, some Bible verse that's going to just stop, stop them crying, that's not prioritizing intimacy. 
as Christ, we show up in the mess. We've talked about this, you know, uh, uh, Jesus showing up to Lazarus. He speaks truth to Martha, but he sits and just weeps with Mary. And sometimes we need to speak truth to our kids. Sometimes we just show up, we cry, we let the moment linger. That's okay. Number three, we need to set, learn, help our kids have limits. Why are limits important? Number one, limits teach kids self-discipline. The eventual goal is for kids to manage all the responsibilities. Like, eventually your kids are learning to manage homework and chores and setting their own alarm and, you know, learning these things, learning how to take care of their body without reminders. But when we set these limits, it helps them learn self-discipline. Limits keep kids safe. It gives kids opportunities that know they can be responsible within these limits that you've set for them. And then once they've handled these limits, you know, then they can have more responsibility. Limits keep kids healthy. Uh, just from food, you know, kids are impulsive and want to enjoy immediate gratification. So we need to teach our kids how to eat healthy. You know, uh, kids naturally are just going to want to be on electronics 24-7. We have to teach kids how to have limits. And no, you can't just be on your phone or on video games as much as you want. You can't eat as much candy as you want. That's not healthy. It limits help kids cope with uncomfortable feelings. They're going to be sad they can't have that second cookie. And so we're helping them learn limits within proper healthy boundaries. Limits show that you care. Sometimes a kid will act out and maybe even hit their sibling to see, is my parent even going to notice this? They are desperate for attention, and so they're going to act out in a way to get a response from you as a parent. Or maybe a kid is jumping on a couch just to test your leadership skills, just to see, you know, um, are they even going to do anything about this at all? And giving negative consequences shows you're not going to let things get out of control. It helps a kid feel that you care, that they are safe. Parental limits give kids a sense of security, even if your kid is rebelling against them. Think of it this way. Limits are like the structure in a house. Your house has walls and stairs and a roof, and that's structure. It keeps your family safe and warm and dry. And limits are the emotional structure that your kid needs. Sometimes you might pound against those limits, but they are critical. And a lot of parents get stuck in a cycle of just trying to give in to their kid, but what they really need are these limits. Limits help a child regulate his or her emotions, develop frustration tolerance, and appreciate the need for others. So how do we set some limits? Here are four ways. Number one, be clear with the limits. Set specific rules and expectations in such a way that they can understand. Hey, like an expectation of eat all the food on your plate is a clear expectation, but just eat your food may be too broad. You know, eat everything on your plate, and then when you're done eating, pick up your plate and put it in the dishwasher. Now, that's a very clear expectation, but just, hey, clean up after yourself may be too broad for your kid to understand. You know, we do this a lot of times. When we're driving our kids to a small group, when we're driving our kids to a family gathering, we will remind them of the limits. Hey, kids, just a reminder. No karate kicking, no nunchucks, no throwing stars, you know? Like, we'll be kind of have fun with it sometimes. I'm just like, uh, hey, don't spit on someone. And just as a reminder, be kind. Don't push anyone. You know, use your please and thank yous. Use those opportunities before, uh, you know, different events, like small group or church or an athletic event, to remind them of the limits. As parents, we do a massive disservice to our kids if we aren't using those opportunities to remind them of those limits when they're in situations that are out of the ordinary for them. Number two, be consistent. 
They should be, uh, uh, the routines help establish expectations. Th those limits, they should know what they are. You know, if your kid gets, you know, 30 minutes of TV of a, a day, it shouldn't fluctuate wildly between, all right, tomorrow, fine, you can watch TV as much as you want. Or you be on your phone as much as you want, or whatever that might be. Have consistent limits. Number three, offer choices when you're able, but only choices that you're okay with. Please, please don't, as a parent, say, all right, it's your choice. You can spend your money, you know, uh, in savings or, you know, going to this concert. And they pick the concert, you can't be mad at them. <laughs> you know, offer them choices where either one is okay. Sometimes, like, you might tell your kid, hey, get your shoes on. They're freaking out. I don't want to wear shoes. Hey, do you want to wear these shoes or these ones? You have a choice in this matter. And I'm okay with either one, this one. You know, um, or, hey, uh, you know, they're hungry. They want candy for a snack, whatever. Nope. All right, you can have an apple, or you can have cheese. And you're totally okay with either one. You know, as parents, please, please, please don't offer some kind of choice hoping they'll pick the right answer. Don't do that, please. You're just, it's, uh, it's called a, a double bind. Like, don't do that. And also don't offer choices where neither choice is okay. <laughs> uh, that, that's just bad parenting. Uh, for those who have adult kids... For those who are adult kids, please, please, yeah, don't put your kids in tough situations where that's fine. You can stay home, you know, for Christmas and, and be with your family, or you can come over to our house on Christmas Day. But like, what you really, really want is them to come over to your house on Christmas Day. And if they choose staying home, then you're going to hold that against them. Don't do that. If it's important that you want to see your grandkids on Christmas Day, tell them that. Say, hey, we'd like to see you on Christmas Day. Can we make that work? Please, please don't say, hey, either one's fine with me when one is not fine with you, all right? Number four, pair limits with reasonable consequences. I'll tell my kids sometimes, like, they'll be like, I'll be like, clean up your stuff. I've asked you, you know, two times, there's going to be consequences now. No, I'm not going to do that. Okay, well, here's the consequence. We, they have money they can earn. We put them in there. I'm going to take $10 out of your account because I'm going to use my time to pick up your stuff. So you can either pick up your stuff now or I'm going to do it and I'm going to take $10 out of your account to do that. Okay, and they leap into action. You know, offer some kind of consequence that is reasonable that, that you're okay with. Um, you know, don't, like, if, if you know that you've got some kind of meeting, you know, on a Saturday and you're going to use the TV as a babysitter, like, don't threaten the takeaway TV if you know you need to use that. You know, do some kind of consequence that you are okay of living with. Be clear with the limits, be consistent, offer choices, and have reasonable consequences. So often what I see in parenting, this isn't all issues, but we are not setting good limits. Again, remind those kids of those limits before you're heading into a new situation, before you're going into all church camp. You know, and part of the limits is just saying, hey, as a family, this is how we treat people. We use our words for kindness. We don't shove. We don't kick. We never put our hands, you know, on, on someone. Here's the limits that we live in as a family. As I wrap up today, here's what the great warrior poet uh, Joshua said. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you will dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We get a choice. Are we going to try to have some kind of legalistic home? Are we going to have a lukewarm home where we're declaring faith in Jesus but not actually living it out? Or are we going to say we're going to have a Christ-centered home? Not just a Christian home in name, but actually a family that is centered on Christ. As a grandparent, as an aunt and uncle, am I hoping to have influence 
on, on my nieces and nephews and grandkids beyond just authority. How do we do that? We help kids know they're loved, they're listened to, and reasonable, healthy limits. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to wrap up today. God, thank you that you loved us so much that you stepped into our mess and you aligned with us, you attached to us so that we could attune to you and, 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 and live the way that you, God, designed us to live. And now, God, I pray for every one of us who have influence with kids and authority, whether that's grandkids or, or our own children or nieces or nephews or, or kids in this church as we serve as, as youth leaders or, or kids ministry leaders, whatever it might be, God, that we would take that responsibility seriously. God, my prayer is that every child would know that they are loved, that they matter, that we're glad that they are here, God, that they are safe, and that, God, as a community, we would point these children to you. God, I pray that each and every family here, we would say as Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But, God, it's not easy, and we need your help. We need your strength in this. In your name we pray. Amen. As we do our last song, normally our closing song is kind of an upbeat walkout song as we receive the offering. We're still going to receive the offering at this time, but this song is a little bit different. It's, it's a little bit more uh, slow, mid-tempo type song, but it really says, like, God, my God, I need you. A lot of times, I don't preach sermons like this very often where it's just a lot of, like, uh, helpful tips because it can really feel like do harder, try better, which is not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is you are completely loved and, and empowered uh, by God and his spirits. Now we need to grow and learn some things. So knowledge is good and helpful. But the only way we can apply these things is with God's help. So as the band sings this song, I'd really love for you to make this your prayer. That, you know, you may not face Goliath, but you have your own giants. Whatever that might be. Uh, in parenting, in grandparenting, um, in just influence with kids. So I'd encourage you, let's all stand together. And let's sing this song and make it our prayer um, to say, God, we need you to show up today in whatever situation and stage of life we find ourselves in. Uh, and then uh, we'll go out and, and, and hang out and, and, and linger in the lobby today. Have a great day. And I hope today was helpful, beneficial uh, in some ways. Maybe pick one thing to walk away with today. And then make this song your prayer as we say we bring our needs to God. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.